Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Director of Enterprise Accounts at AI21 Labs, Michael Elias. AI21 Labs is a Tel Aviv-based software company specializing in natural language processing-based systems. Michael joins us on today's program to pour through the growing number of use cases for large language models in the financial services space. This is the third and final episode in a series sponsored by AI21 Labs. Don't forget to check out AI21 Labs co-founder and co-CEO Ori Goshen in conversation with Emerge CEO and head of research Daniel Fagella on this program just last month, offering a preview of what the larger marketplace for bespoke LLMs will look like going into the future. And just a few weeks after that, we had AI21 Labs Vice President of Product Dan Padnos on the program to talk with me about LLMs and generative AI for retail and e-commerce use cases. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Michael. Michael, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. So taking a closer look at financial services, especially with, I think our audience has been primed for this for a long time, there's going to be an influx of not just LLMs, but bespoke LLMs. And I think that's got a lot of business leaders in this space thinking about what their problems are in a larger context, not just of, oh, here it is, you know, often my call center. Oh, here it is in my data records. They're thinking of it as the total medium, but language in text so they can think about it in terms of, you know, direct communications with their customers, all the influence that will have over customer experiences, those journeys and right on to, you know, where it overflows into documents and other kinds of like, you know, data storage from where we're looking at, at it at that angle. Just want to see what do you see is the biggest challenges when it comes to financial services workflows in language? Sure. So, I mean, if you think of a financial services firm, they, they don't make cars, they don't make yogurt. They are text-based businesses in order to transact money and services between an organization and its customers. So, your 90% of what they have are databases, text, or digits within documents. If you add on to that, these organizations are regulated. Everything that they need, they do needs to have a certain level of scrutiny, explainability, verifiability, and testing. And the challenge for financial services is probably that they have the most, the most to gain from large language models, and potentially if they don't do it right, the most to lose because of the regulatory environment and nature of large language models. Yeah, I, I, and I think it's that that tightrope walk in that, you know, your biggest organizations in FinServe or, or your oldest, you know, are traditionally defensive. They are, you know, thinking about this in ways of, you know, where it's going to affect the organization when there's so much more to be gained from a more transformative, you know, outlook, you know, where can I tie this into the core of my business? You know, I think also at, among these problems going into it, especially for those legacy institutions, you know, trying to update their systems when it comes to LLMs is there's the risk that's out there. They It's talked about in terms of, you know, misinformation or hallucinations. 
I think we've done a pretty good job on the show so far in the last, I want to say, two months worth of episodes across the AI and Business podcast and this podcast, the entire platform, at least laying the groundwork for what hallucinations mean, you know, or versus, you know, correcting misinformation, you know, what what folks see out of chat GPT in terms of its, you know, predictive capabilities, but it not having enough context to provide you right answers. Where do you come at the approach from, you know, the legacy institution end where it's, you know, o- older systems and more prone to kind of, you know, unstructured or, or dirtier approaches to data, and, and especially for what LLMs can provide in sorting that out, in clarifying that, and other ways of interacting with that data from an in-house standpoint? Sure. So a lot of the larger FinServe companies, you know, are probably the best, have the best deployments of natural language processing historically, using supervised learning, a bunch of different machine learning models. So it's not something that's new to them. I think the key to success for these organizations is to understand what they're looking to accomplish as it relates to a use case or some sort of integration of generative AI into a process. What is the data that's available that they can use in order to serve that AI application? And lastly, what's really important is what is, is there an end user experience or is this an internal application in order to provide productivity? What we've seen with some of the larger FinServe companies is they're taking an internal approach first and saying, okay, we're gonna deploy something that has to deal with compliance or summarization or document management mm-hmm. or, or term sheet generation. And it's gonna be an internal process for two years. And we wanna get from 50% success to 70% success. Right. And, and we, we can afford to wait a long, we can still make huge ROI by having an internal system with a human in the loop verifying everything before we make this customer facing. Right, right, right. We hear about this elsewhere in terms of how data is changing the conversation from, you know, looking at things from without or within the organization, looking at kind of like the cell wall of what the organization is. You know, when we take the step outside of that, things like voice of the customer and external search all of a sudden become topic search in other areas I, I I know we've covered on the show and elsewhere. Looking at this squarely from a language standpoint, large language models and FinServe, what's the right way to approach, you know, from a FinServe standpoint, if you want those benefits in terms of, you know, that end user experience, but not getting too tied into your own internal approach? The risk with doing something too superficial that doesn't really solve a complex problem is that it becomes a nice to have and it doesn't provide adoption. So, I mean, one low hanging fruit could be using natural language to answer FAQs, which are public documents anyway. They can change the user experience. Instead of having to go through nine different questions to find an answer, they can ask a question in natural language and get the answer. Um, the second area is is on the risk side and, and, and these organizations are good at it, but you have to ask your question is how good is good, but how bad can bad be? And if you're on the risk pendulum trying to implement something where the risk of doing something is significant, you need to take a slower, more mitigated approach and probably add additional technologies around your large language models in order to make sure that they are safe. Mm-hmm. 
tell us a little bit about the WordTune platform in terms of where you guys have struck this balance between having a a tool alongside. It's not even quite an avatar. It just seems more like a filter in terms of what I've seen on the dashboard. And I think that that might give our audience, in terms of your last answer, kind of a a vision for how that balance might be struck. Sure. So we've taken the approach that AI should put the human in the first, be in the center, and provide the user or the customer with assistance using AI. So if you take an example of, of generating text or creating text, we don't support the task of saying, you know, write me an article or blog post about something and it spits out four pages. It's rather you write a sentence, allow the AI to generate 10 to 12 different examples, mm -hmm. which are accurate in meaning, but different in style, allow the user to choose from a corpus of generations that, that reflects what they want to say from a meaning perspective, but maybe it's creative or more accurate or so forth. So that's writing. Reading is equally important. Our summarization capabilities include not only the abstracted nature of the summarizations, but we provide the source document and the summarized document side by side. And we highlight in the source document the extractive points where the document was summarized from. So to visualize this, you'd be looking at a screen on the right, you can see the source document, which could be a, a large, long financial yeah. piece of agreement. And on the left, you can see the summarizations. When you click on a summarization, it will show you the key points from where that extraction was taken. What that does is it allows the user to double check and see this is acceptable. I, I'm gonna, I like this summarization or I'm gonna re regenerate it again. It also gives them a way of interacting with AI in a more natural setting to their historical reading patterns. Interesting. I, I actually found it quite intriguing from the reading standpoint, especially in what it could highlight. And I've seen a lot of like similar workflows just in, you know, even my day to day out of, you know, even Google comments all the way to, to Grammarly. All at the same time, I'm wondering in terms of the practical applications in FinServe, I, we center, I know your value prop, it's in a lot of, you know, customer experience and, and journeys, but I see a lot of, you know, crossover here between, you know, document processing, compliance. Can you tell us a, a little bit about what this looks like the farther we get outside of maybe customer experience for a bit? So if you think of compliance by law, having to review every call transcript that was done above a certain transaction level to guarantee that X amount of people or X amount were in a room or X amount of trades were approved by the right people. Summarization, good summarization with a human in the loop can streamline that process. It doesn't replace the requirement to have a human there to verify it, but it allows them to be significantly more productive and on a pathway to eventually automate a process like that until the regulators approve it. The second could be financial research, which is used sales enablement tool where you know, organizations publish research to, to be sent out to sales people and then to clients in order to decide something about a security. Customers need to lead, read a lot of this in order to become up to date. Summarization when it's done well can be very helpful and synthesizing what you actually want to read at the end. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think especially for how a lot of FinServe leaders are thinking about large language models, you know, the the emergence of, of GPT-4, we're going to, you know, see a lot of a new marketplace, especially for for bespoke models going forward. Where do you see this, you know, technology going as we get more and more nuanced approaches to how even individual companies use language to interact with customers, with their internal teams? Sure. I mean, it is definitely anybody's guess. We're at the earliest days of where this yeah. is going to go. You know, we saw Bloomberg launched uh, or announced that they trained their, their own internal language model on financial for financial text. That's that's a direction that will probably be extended to to a certain number of organizations. You know, some large organizations may have the technical skills and budgets to train bespoke mm -hmm. models, but it's going to be a curve. You know, the, the the top will do one thing, and and the the vast majority of the smaller firms will have to, you know, pull something off the shelf that does a great job, and is straightforward. Yeah, I think we're seeing that elsewhere not not even just in finserve we see that in big tech we see that in, in in other places where you know the biggest sort of like guerrilla players in the market can do one thing meanwhile everybody else can use the same same technology kind of in a david way versus their goliath way to you know carve out their own space in these sectors of course michael very fascinating conversation and i know i know especially for that last question a lot of folks are a little reticent to say, you know, this is exactly what it's going to look like in five years. But I do still think it's a it's an essential question to ask of where this is going, even for a best guess right now. I think even that informs us even over the next couple of months as people hear the podcast. Michael, thanks so much for again for being with us on the program this week. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Wrapping up today's episode, I hope our friends in wealth management were paying particular attention to what Michael and I were talking about in terms of trading research and summarization and how that will overflow into wealth management. It should be right around the 19-minute mark if I'm compensating for my own notes and how long this took and how I usually know this editing will go. If you go right back around there, I think if you weren't quite paying attention the first time, you might find a very illuminating discussion about where the impact of LLMs on wealth management specifically will be. Just a little tidbit in case you had a couple of folks maybe paying attention more to their commutes maybe than the show. It happens. This is podcasts. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>